If you would, you can open up your Bible with me to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to begin our study in the book of Romans. We have uh, made it through the first 11 chapters now, and I would say that for myself personally, Romans 8 is easily my favorite chapter in Romans, and then, but I would say that probably if I would take a poll, Romans 12 has the most well-known verses. And, and in this house, maybe it wouldn't be, maybe there would be a mixture. But most people, Romans 12 is a go-to scripture that they've heard lots of teaching on and received lots of revelation. In fact, let's, uh, let's take a moment right now and let's pray and ask the Lord. You know, He's the revealer of secrets. And let's just ask Him for clarity of insight and understanding as we read His Word. Father, I thank You and I invite You to come and by Your Spirit reveal truth to us tonight as we look into Your Word and as we uncover Your purposes, Your plan, Your will for, for this place, for this house, for our own personal life. Father, I bless You for this. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit and the infilling of Your Spirit tonight that we might walk in revelation and understanding and that we would... Uh, grow in knowledge, knowledge of who you are and who you have made us to be, in Jesus' name, and amen. One of the things that's always helpful to do is when you begin to read at a chapter, go back and make sure you're capturing the context of why he's saying what he's saying in the current chapter you're in. So, just by going back, we're not going to read all of 11, but what I would like to do is begin in probably 11... And verse 30 is where I'll begin reading, and then we'll just come down to 12.1, and that'll kind of catch us up to speed. Because in chapter 9, 10, and 11, he, made, he was talking about how the Jews, the ethnic Jewish people, that God it was His chosen people, right? And how that now the Gentiles were included into that. And he talks um, in verse 30 of 11, he says, As you once disobeyed God, but... He's talking to Gentiles here. As you once disobeyed God, but now have received mercy through their disobedience, the ethnic Jews he's talking about. So they too, the ethnic Jews, have now disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that He may have mercy on all. This verse 32 is, is the important context that we want to take into our next chapter. God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that He may have mercy on all. Chapters 1 and 2 and 3 in, in Romans here, he very clearly details how the, Jewish, the guilt of the Jewish world, the guilt of the Gentile world, the guilt of the entire world, and how that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so no one can stand on their own Right without the Lord and saying, well, I've arrived. And so, verse 32, it is so that He may have mercy on all. Not some, but every tribe, every people, every tongue, every, every people group. Verse 33, and there's the hymn that Paul writes down. He says, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and untraceable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has ever given to God that He should be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. So the first thing that you should notice is that He's writing to believers. He's writing to people that have already made Jesus the Lord of their life. He's not trying to exhort people in what He's going to say next to, to make Jesus the Lord of their life. He's already talking to people that have done that. So He says, therefore, or here's why, based on those mercies that we just read about, here's why, family, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now notice that Apparently, it's possible as a Christian to be a Christian but not live a fully yielded life. Because he's writing this to believers. And he's saying, look, make sure that you're doing this. To live that fully consecrated, yielded life. The other thing I 
really like that he does is he says, in view of the mercies of God. Notice he did not appeal to the wrath of God. A lot of Christians, right, that's what they preach is the bad news of God. But you and I are called to give the good news, the gospel. And so it's on his mercies. That's good news. In fact, back in Romans uh, 2 verse 4, we've read it before. But it says, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, God's kindness, his restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? It's his goodness that appeals to mankind, not trying to scare people out of heaven into or out of hell into heaven, right? Some people say, well, you know, the good hellfire and brimstone message will just scare the hell out of people. Well, it might, but the, but the trouble is, is that's not the message we were given. We're, we were told to give good news. The gospel is good news. Now, if you reject that good news, now we have bad news for you. But that shouldn't be our go-to, right? Our go-to is the goodness of God. And it's in because of His mercies that it's available. And that's what He's appealing to. And He says, I urge you to present your bodies. This is something that God cannot do for you. He can't present your body. You have to do it. Your spouse can't present your body. Your parents can't present your body as children in here. That's something that you have to do. You get to make the quality choice of whether or not you're going to present yourself as this living sacrifice that he talks about. No one can make you do it. He says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And I like that he said that. It's not a dead sacrifice. It's not once and done. But it's an ongoing, it's a living sacrifice. And when you put your body up on the altar, occasionally you'll find it squirming and climbing back off. And you've got to put it back up there, right? And keep it there, right? It's a living sacrifice. It's set apart. It's holy. It's pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Or true worship is the translation I'm reading. And some translations say reasonable worship or reasonable service it's really a service of worship and it's reasonable if you really stop you know is God an unreasonable God no he's not at all in fact you know sometimes we get the idea that you know you could never read your Bible enough you could never pray enough you could never do enough good well and all of that is actually not from the Spirit of God and he's trying to condemn you, saying you could never qualify. But God is very, very reasonable, and he's not going to ask you to do something that is not going to work in his plan. In other words, he, he, doesn't, he may ask you one day to sit and read the Bible all day, but that's not going to be the normal. He wants you to be fed on the Word of God, but you can read enough. And the way to do it is read until you sense on the inside that he's telling you, okay, move on with your day. And he's not unreasonable. So here, this living sacrifice up on the altar, this pleasing sacrifice to the Lord, this is your reasonable service or reasonable worship. It's reasonable. It's logical is the word. So if you were going to logically draw this out. So he bought me, he took my place in hell, died for me. I mean, just totally took my judgment and penalty on himself, made me, adopted me into like this amazing family of God, gave me heaven. And no, I don't live in heaven right now, but eventually heaven's coming to the earth and I'm going to live in heaven and I've got rights as though I were a born blood son of God, even though I wasn't. I was the one that he just adopted and brought into the family. All of this, yeah, it's logical that I would serve him as a living sacrifice. That would be a reasonable thing to do, Right? It's a reasonable service. And a lot of believers will read this and they think this kind of consecrated, committed lifestyle is one for a few special lay people, maybe the ministers. But it's for every believer. He's writing to believers. And I'll be the first to tell you the main problem with ministers is that they're just like you. They're specially anointed to teach and preach the Word, but they're not specially anointed to live it any more than you are. I mean, I'm talking from experience. 
And so we all get to live this kind of lifestyle, this consecrated, a living sacrifice, something that's holy and pleasing to the Father. Reasonable, logical, worshiping service. He goes on and says, do not be conformed. That's molded or pressured or take the shape of. Don't take the shape of this age or this world. The, the culture that we live in. Don't be conformed to this culture. Its way of thinking. Its way of doing things. Its, it, its value system. Right? Our culture's value system is completely different than the kingdom value system. And if we're operating on kingdom value system, it'll be pretty evident very quickly that we're dancing to the beat of a different drum than the culture around us. And it'll be made evident by reading the rest of the chapter. You'll see some things that we'll be known for. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So, put that up in the uh, ISV, verse 2 if you would, in the ISV translation. Because this word here, to do not be conformed, but be transformed, the word be carries a continuous, ongoing um, tense to it. And so in, in Romans 2, in the ISV translation, I like how it words it that way because it, it gives the word continually there, right? That we are continually renewed. And so it's ongoing. It's not once and done. It'd be nice if it were once and done. You know, when we got born again, that's all we needed. And um, spirit, soul, and body all got born again. And um, now all we do is coast through the rest of our life. Now there's a reason he said you present your body a living sacrifice. You have to do it. And when we look here, don't be conformed to this age, but be being transformed. It's an ongoing thing. And the word transformed is where we get our word for metamorphosis from. Right, like a butterfly going from an ugly caterpillar to a beautiful butterfly. It's transformed completely. It's the same word that was used when Jesus and the three disciples went up on the mountain and he was transfigured in front of them and he became dazzling white and his clothes were white and he was talking to Moses and Elijah. The same thing that happened with him. He was transfigured. And so when we look at this, we go, okay, so I'm not going to take on the shape and mold and the smell of the world. Remember the three Hebrew guys that went into the fiery furnace? They wouldn't bow. They wouldn't worship to the idol. So they get thrown in the furnace and they did not take on the shape of things that get thrown into furnaces. Ashes. You know, there was no ashes, ashes, we all fall down with them. <laughs> Their ropes burned off. But their clothes didn't even burn. And they came out of that thing and it says they didn't even smell like smoke. They didn't even smell like smoke, which would have been a little disappointing. Because, you know, I was in there, smell my clothes. They're like, you don't smell like smoke. I don't believe you. (laughs) But no, they didn't even smell like it. See, we can be in our culture and not take on the smell of our culture. We're in it, we're not of it. And so... Why? How is that possible? Well, because we're going from caterpillar to butterfly by the renewing of our mind. The renovation of our thinking. The remodeling of our thought process. And and this is a big thing. The Word of God is living, quick, sharp, and powerful. Even to the dividing of thought. Right? to the dividing of thoughts and of heart and intention and all these things. And the Word of God, if you will take it and will read it, and not just read it as, I got this box to check before I go to work or before I go to bed, but if you'll actually say, Lord, I'm going to read this with you and open it up to me and help me understand what I'm reading. Read it with the author. If you'll do that, your thinking will literally begin to shape and change and mold after the image of Him. I'll give you a... A, a flip side of this. People that get addicted to pornography, people that look at pornography, the scientists have come out and said, now understand that they're, um, I'm saying this, scientists didn't say this, I'm saying that they are yielding to spirits, spirits of lust. So they are under the influence of spirits when they're doing that. 
And so when they're looking at that, scientists have said that it actually rewires the brain. And the person's what, like when they put it underneath all these image scanners and they look at how thoughts travel through the mind and the path they take, that when a person begins to look at pornography, it rewires, it reroutes the thoughts in their physical brain, in the organ of their brain. And they begin to function and work differently. And there's like thought, um, they call them thought grooves, okay? Where like, it's, it's why a habit is so hard to change. Because in your natural organ of your brain, there is a path that thoughts usually follow, and it becomes habit, it becomes a groove in your brain, and this is the pathway by which normally this habit operates in. Well, it's no different for something like pornography. And they found that it rewires a person's thinking. Well, if a spirit of lust and a natural thing, right, because it also involves the natural, if that can cause your thinking to be rewired and changed from how it was earlier, how much more would the Word of God rewire and change your thinking, reroute thoughts into ways that are, are now bringing out God's character in your life, His thoughts in your life, His love in your life, His expressions through you? And you say, oh, well, that's great. I, I read it this morning. My thoughts are rerouted. That's true. The trouble is, if you don't get right back in and continually keep that renovating process in your mind up, it doesn't take long and you begin to go to old ways of thinking. Why? Because your brain never got saved. Your spirit was saved. It was born again. But your mind was not born again. Your thinking wasn't born again. Your flesh wasn't born again. It still likes those old things. But in your thinking, if you'll continually renovate your thinking with the Word of God and allow that to function and work in you, there's something that takes place here. So that, oh, now we're getting to the reason of it. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So you may discern, alright, or no, or the word is test, so that you may prove out by testing is what it means. It doesn't say so that you may find the will of God, or that you may hunt and discover the will of God. It does not say that. I know that's how we usually read it, that keep your mind renewed with God's way of thinking so that you can discover His thinking, but that is not what that word means. That word means actually to test, like it's a scientific term. When you find a theory and now you're testing the theory to see whether or not it's true. That is what that word is. It's a proving out of or a, a putting that theory to work to see is it tried and true. Remember David when he was going to go out and take on Goliath and Saul gave him his armor? And he goes, no, I haven't proved these. That is exactly what that word is meaning. I haven't tested it and tried it. I haven't put it to the test. So here, now, I mean, it goes without saying that if you renew your mind with the will of God, you will find the will of God. But that's not what he's trying to get people to do, is to discover it. He's trying to get them to actually act upon it and put it to the test. So that you may discern or test what is the good, the pleasing, and perfect or complete will of God. Put up, put up verse 1 and 2 in the Amplified. I'd like to read it in there. Okay, verse 1 in the Amplified. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies. That's the thing with, with a living sacrifice. It is a quality decision that you can make. Nobody winds up on the altar by accident. Like, I don't know how I got here. I tripped and fell and landed on the altar. Well, that's the first thing you do if you find yourself in that position. You climb back off if you didn't mean to be there. So you only get up there on purpose, is my point. To make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Verse 2, 
Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. But be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new... Okay, try again. Go, go again. Back. All right. There you go. Boy, that's weird. Anyhow, you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. For those of you on the internet, part of the verse is missing is what I was talking about was weird, not the verse. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in His sight for you. Here's the thing with a renewing of the mind. Did you know that repentance does not renew your mind? It involves the mind, right? But it's only part of the process. You can recognize, you can even have regret for something, which is part of repentance, but nothing changes unless a renewal of the mind now takes place on the inside of you. Put up on the screen Ephesians 4, verse 22. Ephesians 4 and 22. And if you're taking notes, we'll read 22 through 24. To strip yourselves of your... Um, okay, let's go back to the uh, Holman Standard Translation. You took off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and... You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. That is, let's just ask this question. How do you renew your mind? By the Word of God, okay? So you're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. Verse 24, you put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of truth. So there's a putting off, but then there's a putting on. Both are deliberate actions. The one is done because you realize it's wrong and sinful. The putting on is done because you've got a renewed way of thinking. Look at verse uh, or Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you have put off, there it is again, the old self with its practices and have put on the new self you are being renewed in knowledge, there it is again, according to the image of your Creator. Renewed in knowledge. Knowledge is something that you don't get by laying on your bed taking a nap. Right? Knowledge is, is a knowing. And you can, you can know things by the Spirit and you know things by looking at them and studying them and reading them and looking at the Word of God. Because you are being renewed in the knowledge according, according to the image. It's like looking in a mirror and being fashioned after, after the image in the mirror, except the image in the mirror is Christ. Look at James chapter 1, verses 21 and 25. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil excess, humbly receive the implanted Word, which is able to save you. You ask, how do we renew our mind? Well, by the Word of God. By reading the Word, and in the Word, you discover His will, His purpose, His plan. You discover how God thinks, the character of God, the things that please God. And in more than just in, even in, in the words that you're reading, but if you spend time with the Lord, He'll give you His Word also. Right? He'll talk to you. And He'll speak to you and develop within you His character. And we'll, we'll rid ourselves of all these things. We'll receive the implanted Word which is able to save you. The Word is alive. Who is the Word? The Word became flesh. 
His name is Jesus, right? It's why faith comes from the Word, hearing the Word. Faith comes from Christ, the Anointed One. And so that Word on the inside of you, the implanted Word, He brings it to life. He causes it to work in you. Let's look at verse 22. Once it becomes alive in you, what happens? You be a doer of the Word, not hearers only, because then you're just deceiving yourself. If you hear and you know the Word, but you're not actually living it, problem. Verse 23, because if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, he goes away, and immediately forgets what he looked like, what kind of man he was. Right? Our appearances change pretty easily. And people always look at themselves in the mirror. Do I still look like the last time I looked? Yep. Or, nope, there's a booger hanging out your nose. Oh boy, I'm glad I looked in the mirror before I went out there, right? Mirrors are useful. Okay, verse 25. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and per- perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. All of this comes out of a renewed mind, that implanted word that is working in you. The implanted word. Are you planting the word inside of you? We all know, well, we definitely don't want to, we definitely don't want to be conformed to this age. That's bad. We don't want to take the shape of the world, of the culture, of their values. That's bad. But not wanting to be that is not enough. That's great to have that desire. But that's not enough. There is something that takes an actual effort from us, that whole putting ourselves up on the altar and keeping ourselves there and living a life that's holy, consecrated, is sanctified, is set apart, is the way to say it, for Him. And then we take that renovating Word on the inside of us and our thinking becomes changed and we see what is pleasing, the good, the perfect, complete will of God. I like how E.W. Kenyon said it. He said, the Word builds the Christ nature. So you remember, who is the Word? Jesus. The Word builds the Christ nature and the love nature of the Father into the individual. As you get into the words, you meditate in the Word, that's what's happening on the inside of you. The Christ nature, the love nature of the Father is being built into the individual. God is building Himself into us, making Himself a part of us as the Word, I love this, dominates, rules, and satisfies our spirit nature. E.W. Kenyon is the one who said that. The Word will dominate, it will satisfy your spirit nature. The Spirit recognizes, you know that verse that, you know, from deep to deep, deep speaks to deep, you know, the deep things of the spiritual realm, what your spirit on the inside of you is that deep. And so when it comes and it takes its form of life on the inside of you and you awaken to his way of thinking, to his way of doing things, you begin to see things differently and suddenly Outward actions, that whole not just being a hearer, but a hearer and a doer, the outward actions begin to line up with the character and the life of God, of who He is, of who He claims to be. And people, it becomes evident by looking at your life that, wow, that's one of those renovated ones. Right? Those renewed ones. The remodeled ones. Someone say, I am remodeled in my thinking. To be built after Christ. Hallelujah. Worship team, you can come. We're going to stop there tonight. Praise God. Look at all those faces. I got to tell you, I am so thankful to belong to this church. I was thinking this week, man, I am I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Appreciate you all so much. It's, it's my joy every weekend that I'm here to come in and worship with you and receive the word. So just thought I'd tell you that. <laughs> You gotta tell people this stuff, you know. Okay. Were you glad Jesus saved your soul? Yes. Praise God. Let's sing about it.
grateful for a good, good father. Me too. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You are good in every way, ways that we don't even know about. We just celebrate you. And Lord, I ask that you help us to be more like you in every way, that your goodness would shine through us and that people, when they would look at us and they would see us, they would think of you. And that they would want to be like you. Thank you for pouring out your spirit upon the earth and upon your church. Thank you that by your spirit you lead us into all truth. And you teach us and instruct us. And reveal the hidden things to us. Father I thank you that you would take these two verses in Romans that we read out of Romans 12. And work those in our heart. And cause this word to renew and reform our thinking this week. That we might reflect you in your thoughts, in your heart, in your character more and more every day in Jesus' name. And amen. amen. So love on each other as you go. You're dismissed. everybody. Glad to see you all here tonight. Are you staying warm? Yeah? Praise the Lord. Well, I'd like to worship. I'd like to encourage our worship time tonight uh, with Psalms 136. It's a fabulous psalm. And I, it's got a, a resounding theme about it. And if you can believe it, God says 26 times in this psalm, My mer mercy endureth forever. 20, if 25 wasn't enough, he takes it to 26. I think he wants us to understand that his mercy endureth forever. And a really good translation for that is, my love never runs out. Isn't that so beautiful? So I was meditating on that and I thought, you know, if you have a, a, a weakness or a habit or something that you just can't seem to get victory in, you, you get so far and then you blow it again or um, you keep going around and around the same mountain, not thinking that you can dislodge from it come to this scripture, this chapter, and realize no matter how many times you miss it, God's love never runs out. His mercy endureth forever. Isn't that beautiful? Do you just take it right into your heart? He starts off with, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Why? For his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. For to him who alone does great wonders, because his mercy endureth forever. Who remembers us in our lowly state, for his mercy endureth forever. And rescues us from our enemies, because his mercy endureth forever who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Why? Because his mercy endureth forever. His love never runs out. Father, we just thank you tonight. We give you our praise and glory, our worship. We just come as worshipers tonight in spirit and in truth. 
Father, we love you. Jesus, we adore you. Holy Spirit, thank you. We bless you and honor and celebrate you in our time together tonight as children of God in the body of Christ. So let's stand up together. And let's remember, in every moment of our life, his mercy endureth forever. Why? Because his love never runs out toward you. Father, I thank you for your love to us and that you made provision to adopt us and make us yours. We're so grateful for that. And thank you that you sent Jesus to take our place, to face our judgment, and to provide access, Lord. Access to you, access to healing, access to health, to life in our physical body. And right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over sickness in this house. Any disease, any sickness, any pain, and I command you to stop right now. And in the name of Jesus, I give you life and health by the broken body of Jesus. Take and eat. Lord, we lay hold of the, your healing promises right now. Our flesh is made whole and new, and it's renewed right now according to your word and according to the stripes Jesus took for us. I am healed. You are healed. Father, we thank you for the blood of covenant. Lord, that all that is included in salvation belongs to us. We don't take it as one that deserves it, Lord. We take it because you made a way for us. We're so grateful. And we gladly claim it in Jesus' name. Let's just say this. I am washed in the blood of the Lamb. I am redeemed. He has made me whole. He has made me the head and not the tail. I walk in the wholeness of Christ. I have life and health within my body. I have peace in my soul. I belong to Him and not myself. Hallelujah. Alright, you can pass your little cups in to the center aisle and they'll come pick them up. Here in just a moment, we will uh, dismiss the children to their classes and the teachers to their various places. And um, while they're doing that, you can greet someone, welcome someone. If you see someone new here, make sure to make them feel right at home. And if you see an old timer here, make sure to make them feel right at home. All right, you may, uh, you're free to move about the cabin. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International. We're so glad you're here with us tonight. Anybody here for the very first time? We'd like to just acknowledge you, clap a little bit. If this is your first time to Church of the Word, you raise your hand and wave at us a little bit. All right. I don't see any hands. So, well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe. So, if you need a cash envelope, oh, we, no, he's been here before. <laughs> nice try. Uh, we're glad you're here, though. All right. Uh, if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can just raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. And as always, if you're giving by credit card, we appreciate all of the blanks being filled out. And we're going to return the tithe to the Lord because we love him, first of all. Amen. And because it's a way that we demonstrate honor to the Lord and that he has first place in our life. And, you know, we teach that here at this church. I mean, if you've been with us any length of time, you've heard us teach on tithing and that it's for today and it is um, definitely for the New Covenant believer. So you're not new to that. The question I have is, is tithing the only thing there is to prospering? Because when we teach on the tithe, we know that uh, in Malachi it tells us that there is a blessing. The windows of heaven are open for the tither and the devourer is rebuked for your sake. So, is the only thing necessary for, your, uh, for you to walk in prosperity, is it just tithing? I heard a no. Somebody's right on the right track. 
Is it possible you could tithe and still be struggling financially? Could you tithe and still just paycheck to paycheck? And Yeah, the answer is yes, because it's not that God's not doing his part. He does his part every time. But, you know, he's set up laws of increase. And if you will violate those other laws of increase, you're not going to walk into full prosperity of God. You know, he could be, you could violate a law of obedience. And, he, you know, he might have said, been saying to you, kind of nudging you on the inside, hey, step out and do this. You know, open up a new uh, department in your business or, or maybe uh, turn in your two-week notice and start a new business, go a different direction, and you're saying, no, 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 that doesn't work, you know, and you don't follow the principle or the law of obedience, he's trying to bless you. On the other side of that, obedience would have been the blessing. But if you violate that and won't obey him, you know, what about um, your tithing and the Lord brings in some increase, but you're not operating in the law of diligence or stewardship in fact, you know how in Proverbs it tells you to um, know the state of your flocks? You don't know the state of your flocks. You don't know what comes in and what's going out. You're just sort of shooting from the hip. And uh, I don't know. We'll see how that works out. It's not that the Lord's not doing his part. So, and, there's, and there's others. I'm just referring to some. So what if you're tithing out of fear? instead of out of a heart of love and um, honor to the Lord? What if it's more of a religious thing, like a, well, we know Christians tithe, so we check the box, and it's not really in faith? Well, you know, how many times did Jesus say in regards to healing, uh, you know, be it unto you according to your faith? What if you don't even believe that God wants you to have superabundant wealth? What about that? You, if he, he might be wanting to do something for you, but it's coming up against, you don't even believe God wants that for you. you guys are super quiet sometimes. <laughs> it's okay to interact a little bit here. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I think that in the coming weeks, God's going to have us teach some on some of these laws of increase, but... I want to talk tonight about a foundation really in the realm of what do you believe? Be it unto you according to your faith, like I said, Jesus said, in regards to healing. I think that's true for other things as well. If you don't believe it, what about that? If you don't believe the windows of heaven will be opened for you, and you're not expecting that, and you're not looking for that, and you just, you know, you have an issue with people that have a lot of money. Well, will, will you experience that? Will you walk in the full prosperity of God? You know, if um, you can turn over to Psalms. Well, actually, no. Go to Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. You know, if you study the word at length at all in this area, you'll see that God not only wants you to be prosperous, but tells you how to prosper. And... He's the one that has set up these principles, these laws of increase that work for everyone that will act on them. He's not a respecter of persons. They will work for everyone. And like I referred to, the foundation that I, I feel like I want to talk about tonight is what do you believe about God? And what do you believe about his character? Do you believe he wants you to prosper? A little bit? Okay, but not that much, because that much would be sinner's side. <laughs> you know, like, do, do you have levels here of, of this? Um, Deuteronomy, in chapter 8, verse 18, it says, To remember the Lord, it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Now, why would he give you the power to get wealth when he doesn't want you to have any? That, that just doesn't make any sense. Okay. You know, I could, I don't want to take too much of the pastor's time here, so I know I cannot, but I mean, I just felt overwhelmed today when I was studying all the different places where he tells us, you know, think about Joshua, you know, meditate on, on the book of uh, this book of the law and, and, and speak it. Don't let it um, depart from your mouth day and night, you know, because that's how you're going to prosper. 
That's how you're going to have good success. Why tell us that if you don't want us to prosper? Why in Deuteronomy, he, he says over and over, obey my commands, obey, obey my decrees, and then you're going to increase. You know, uh, Proverbs is full of it. The fear of the Lord, the wisdom, this will produce riches and wealth in your house. You know, in the, the one that fears the Lord. How about 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse 9? Jesus was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Now, if you want to spiritualize that word rich, sorry, look it up in the original. It literally means an abundance of outward possessions. So, and just a side note, being rich is about much more than just having dollars. It's the prosperity of God is not just, there's a lot of people who have a lot of money who are not rich, who are not prosperous. And, um, so, okay, now Psalms 115. I just wanted to read this to you. And I want you to begin to examine, like I said, because um, what you believe about God and whether he wants you to prosper or not. Because if you don't, if somewhere on the inside of you, you think, well, yeah, maybe God, God's a good God. I know that, but he's not that good. Or like it cuts off here. Like he wouldn't want me to have that, you know. Christians should be the billionaires, right? We should have, you know what? Abraham was one of the wealthiest men of his time. Solomon was the most wealthy man ever. Christians, like godly men. Well, I know Solomon didn't end up godly, but that he, he got wealthy because he feared the Lord, because he honored the Lord. That should be, that reflects on our father, by the way, because we're his kids. Psalms 115. Verse 9 says, all you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. He is our help and shield. You know what? We've got to have this foundation too, that everything we do, we succeed. Every success, every good thing, it is in him that we trust. It's on him we're relying on. Verse 10 says, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us. Isn't that a good thought? He's thinking about you. He's thinking about you. Think he has some good thoughts? Think he has some thoughts to prosper you, not to harm you, wants to see you come out, wants to see you flourish? He remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people, Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Are you getting the picture that he wants you blessed? He wants you to flourish. He wants you to thrive. And and that's just his heart towards you. He wants to see you increase. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. There's countless scriptures on this. If he didn't want you to be rich, if he didn't want you to prosper materially, why do we have so many scriptures that tell us how to get it? Go through the Proverbs. Go through, I mean, there's even places in, in the New Testament where he says, do this so you don't lose your reward. Do this and there'll be this reward. Why bother telling me about this reward if, if you don't want me to have that? If there's... If poverty is some kind of a badge of holiness. So you really need to get clear on what you think about these things. Because if we start talking about laws of increase, and you have on the inside this like incongruent belief system that, no, that's not for you. God doesn't want that for me. Can't even see yourself that way. I think you're just going to keep bumping along. Am I making any sense here? All right. Well, God loves us, and he wants us to prosper, and he wants to see you increase. And I don't know about you, but that increase is supposed to mean so that we can superabound to every good work. It's not just supposed to be a lake for us. It's supposed to be a channel. It's supposed to mean that, you know, he needs money on the earth. That's, that's you and I. He doesn't need it up there. He needs it down here to get it across to people. He needs people that will be obedient to him. 
So to do his work, to accomplish his will on the earth, he needs people that have some resources, and he wants to get it over to you, doesn't he? All right, well, take a hold of your tithe. Father, I thank you so much that your thoughts towards us are good all the time. And I thank you, Lord, that you want us to flourish, that you want us to increase. Lord, I ask that you open up our minds, renew our minds on this issue. Give us mind renewal in the area of finances and prosperity and really show us how you see things. Give us the proper view of money and, and how to use it and that we would have the right money view so that we could further your kingdom, so that we can be um, a channel that you, to get things across to others, that we would be obedient each and every time that you give us an assignment and that we're in a position to do so. Lord, that we're able to, you know, when a project comes up, we can just say, how much, Lord? You want us to do the whole thing? Just help us, Lord, in this area. I know that you're good, and I know that your word is true, and I just thank you, Lord, that you have given us resources. I thank you for the incomes that we have here in this house. I thank you we're able to tithe, and I thank you, Lord, in advance for every need met in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And the ushers will pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. In the bulletin, we have a couple of items here, our Christmas outreach um, So we're gathering wool socks and winter gloves for both men and women. The baskets in the back lobby. And those are going to be distributed through CityGate. Also, a few men's winter coats, sizes medium and large. And if you're planning on giving a men's coat, you can sign up in the back. Our Christmas outreach is the same as last year. So diapers wipes and formula because the need is so great in that area and we are distributing those through aligned pregnancy services so the christmas party we've got details in the bulletin about that if you have a bulletin you can look at that or look behind me Um, it's going to be here at the church it's going to be on december 18th at 4 p.m and sign up is required so that we're prepared for you and there will be opportunity to bring some side dishes, I believe, or something like that. Debbie will have all those details for us. Just an FYI, on Christmas Eve service, there will be no child care, straight across the board, nursery, all of the classes on up. So no child care, Christmas Eve service. And that's at 4. And it will be a shorter service. So expect good things for that. I believe our children have... Something in the works being planned. All right. Pastor, you come and share what the Lord's given you. Are you ready for Thanksgiving week? You know, every week is Thanksgiving week, right, for the believer. Just don't make the mistake of uh, next week calling next Thursday Turkey Day, right? You might eat turkey, but that's not what it's about. And that day was instituted by a government that wanted to thank God for the good things that are in our life. And so make sure that you take some time and thank Him for the things that are easily taken for granted. 